We are reflecting on our conversation with Jenna Bettis about burnout and boundaries. And she had some really good stuff to say, really good, um, really good things for other people to take away. And I think one of them that um, hit home for me as just sort of confirmation where, um, you know, things that I believe, um, one of them was ask for more than you think you're worth. Mm -hmm. Um seeing your value obviously i don't should we give away all of the key key points you should just watch your, it your key point <laughs> yes my yeah. key thing yeah yeah so my key thing was that um that really stood out to me as something that i wholeheartedly believe um that people should always always um value value themselves mm-hmm yeah mm-hmm yeah, and she describes kind of her journey and how she found that, mm -hmm. and that it wasn't natural necessarily. Like right. she, she talks about the hard things that she went through or, or maybe the career um, kind, of, kind of different careers and companies and cultures to find that and to understand what that means. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it took a, a career coach mm -hmm. for her to gain that confidence to ask and to decide that she was worth more than she thought originally. Yeah, and, and that that's compensation or just generally, like role and how you want to be treated. And um, when you say ask for more than you're worth, that's specific mm -hmm. to salary and compensation. Uh, yeah, I think that's what, yeah, I think that was part of the conversation was the, the actual dollar amount because mm -hmm. her motive, one of her original motivations was yeah. stability, yeah. financial stability. Um, but yeah, I, it does, there's a lot more to that. Mm -hmm. I mean, this, they we're talking about burnout and boundaries. So there's, um, you know, sometimes the money is not enough and actually being able to prioritize self-care is, is equally important. Yep. Yeah. And she talked about self-care mm -hmm. a bit too, as she was talking about burnout, um, and, and how to prioritize that and, and yeah, right. It's all connected. Mm -hmm. Boundaries at work means giving yourself time to take care of yourself, right. to be able to forget about work, yeah. Um, yeah, to dedicate time and energy to doing things outside of work. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see, what, uh, what other takeaways? Yeah, Jenna's a leader in my mind. I, yeah. I worked with her for a short time. Um, when we were at JJ Keller together, mm -hmm. um, and just how she carries herself um, and how strong she is. Um, it was so interesting to hear her backstory because that was all new to me. Mm -hmm. uh, all of that was new in terms of kind of career aspirations and education and what she wanted to do. Um, so I enjoyed hearing that. I think my biggest takeaway was where she's at today and how she got there, uh, where uh, she is a strong performer. Mm -hmm. She is doing enough at work and feels like she's doing enough at work and also has a life outside of that. Yeah. And it has found that balance, uh, that integration of how they can work together. Um, that you can have both. Mm -hmm. That it's, uh, and she talks about, you know, how, how she does that delegation and being careful what to commit to right. and uh, being mindful of uh, how much time she has to dedicate to that space. Mm -hmm. um, because if you don't, I think she, she also shares what happens when you don't. Um, so yeah, I mean, my biggest takeaway is just kind of understanding and learning that burnout journey, uh, her being comfortable talking about a difficult topic to talk about, which is corporate burnout or mm -hmm. burnout generally. Um, and where she got to now and how she got there. Mm -hmm. And uh, the advice that she provides throughout is is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. 
um, she says this phrase, and she probably says it better in the episode than I'm about to say it right now, dolce far niente, which is the sweetness of doing nothing. Um, sort of this letting go of productivity guilt, really, is what that is. Yeah. And um, a reframe of what it is to be valuable to the company that you're working for. Yeah. And to believe that, right? The self piece of that. Yeah. Uh, she talked a little bit about that. Um, it, it, to find it for yourself because, and not rely on others to find it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, that if you believe you're enough and that you believe you're a strong performer and that you're doing enough um, to communicate that and model that, mm-hmm. then that becomes the norm or the usual or, or that's what... what um, corporations or your leader expects right but how to do that Mm -hmm. how to find that for self and and how to find that balance then because then you are uh, more healthier overall Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, you are a bit you are right we hear it say it sounds cliche you're better you you are you bring you're better as an employee if you can find that balance Mm -hmm. yeah but it's it's not just incumbent on the employee to do their work for self-care but you have to have that space within your role Mm -hmm. right the employer has to provide also that those opportunities for you to say no and for you to delegate and Mm -hmm. for you to have your own space and self and and be able to give yourself that care that's it yeah it becomes part of the culture yeah it either, yeah. either either is the culture or it becomes part of the right. culture. So I think she found a spot where she feels good about that being mm-hmm. the case. Uh, there are, that, that does exist, mm-hmm. right? I think for some, um, we wonder or question if that does exist and where, where are those spots? Where are those leading companies that have that? Mm-hmm. Uh, how does that become more normal? Yeah. I think we've, we've taken strides, big picture, I think we've taken strides towards that. Right. I think um, I think we've finally recognized that that's important and what that means. Uh, it always that hasn't always been the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for a lot traditional cultures and organizations has been how much can we do? Mm-hmm. How much can you lift? Yeah. How much do you want to work? How much do you want this promotion or raise? Yeah. Uh, and I think that shift. It is, and it is, it is shifting in some places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it was an hour of just a tad less than an hour long conversation, mm. but it felt very comprehensive. So I'm, I'm excited for people to hear some of these tools and some, and her story and some of these things that can help them to, um, perhaps set boundaries and prevent burnout. Mm-hmm. Thanks for being on, Jenna. You were awesome. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much, Jenna. And thank you all for listening. Thanks for watching. Welcome to That's Deep with Eden and Jess. Today we have Jenna Bettis. Uh, We're going to talk about burnout and boundaries. Uh, I met Jenna uh, at a previous employer, uh, and we had shared some thoughts on career transition uh, and burnout and productivity and what that means. Uh, And I'm excited to have a, a conversation with her uh, to sh- help have her share her journey um, and talk through kind of transition that she's going through um, and what it means. Uh, and I'm happy to have you on, Jenna. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Welcome. Thank you. The first section we want to talk about was uh, education and career aspirations. Uh, and maybe just a little bit about a background about who you are and how you got to where you're at. Uh, starting with uh, childhood and uh, what you wanted to be as a child. Yeah, so looking way back to early childhood, I um, actually wanted to be a ballerina. I was really serious about it and was taking dance classes. Um, But early in middle school, 
um, with my parents having four children and we lived outside of town, it was just becoming really hard for them to um, lug us around and get us to all of our extracurricular activities. And so in seventh grade, I decided to um, focus on sports rather than dance because um, by that point in my life, um, Having four children, my parents were struggling financially a little bit, and I understood that dance was really expensive and school sports were free. So um, I made that decision to switch over to focus on sports and get out of dance. And um, that's how I decided that I ultimately wanted to become an accountant. <laughs> um, because in middle school, my best friend's mom was an accountant, and I just observed how well off they were, the very stable family environment, and that really um, meant a lot to me because growing up we weren't always stable when it came to money and finances, um, and so I wanted to make sure that when I was an adult that I didn't have to go through that, and so I understood that being becoming an accountant would put me down that path of having stability for most of my life. So then where did you grow up? Oh. I'm originally from South Texas. Okay. And I've kind of lived all over the place, um, Virginia, California, Hawaii, even for a short period of time. So been all over the place and then ended up in Iowa. Go ahead, Jess, I stepped on your question. No, that's okay. Um, actually, that was a good question because I'm going to, I was going to kind of fast, fast forward maybe, um, but I didn't want to miss, I didn't want to forget. Um, so originally starting or thinking about going into accounting because of or for financial stability, did you find that you once you got into that role or started learning or started the process of educating yourself toward that goal um, that you enjoyed it or? Um, yes, to a certain extent. Um, mm -hmm. I struggled a little bit in school just because I was working full time. Um, sometimes I even had two jobs and I was also going to school full time. So I didn't have mm -hmm. any time for extracurriculars, which was unfortunate. Um, and that obviously negatively impacted me once I graduated, um, you know, not having the best GPA because I didn't have a whole lot of time to study. Um, I had an okay GPA, but not the best and with no extracurriculars. Um, and then to top all of that off, I was originally supposed to graduate college in 2009, but made the decision to spread my last year of classes over two years and graduated in 2010. Um, going to school on the East Coast, I looked at, I applied for probably 100 jobs in the few months after I graduated um, or leading up to when I was graduating, had one interview and um, it was just really difficult. There were, there were no jobs still on the East and the West Coast, but um, I was see, seeing somebody at the time that was originally from Iowa. So him and I made the decision to pack up our belongings and put everything in a storage unit that we couldn't fit in our cars and one day just moved to Iowa. And we had a good support network and um, three days with, after arriving in Iowa, I had a job it was not the best job. It was an outbound call center for $12 an hour, but it was only a six week job um, to get me by until my next job started um, for a tax software company. Mm. So you talk about, yeah, what motivated or inspired you uh, striving to not be broke your whole life and wanting stability. Um, and then you get through high school and you get through college with a degree and and that's still all kind I of had was no money lots of yeah. debt and yeah. um not a lot of job opportunities <laughs> right yeah uh, mentally describe that yeah what does that feel like and how do you do that and um your college experience was positive i assume you found you found 
you found accounting and you found an accounting program and that was what you were interested in. And then it was just a matter of finding the right opportunity, finding a opportunity. Yeah. yeah at that point in time, after the economic crash, um, just finding any opportunity was really what it boiled down to. Um, when I was in college, I really wanted to go down the path of forensics accounting, which is more on the audit side, um, even considered rather than going to um, grad school, going to law school. Um, thankfully, one of my professors talked me off that ledge. He said, honestly, just get your hours enough that you can get your CPA. Law school is just going to be a lot more money and a lot more work. <laughs> um, so ended up not actually going to grad school right away. I took a year off. Um, just because I knew that going to grad school was going to be very expensive and there was less financial aid available. Um, so I really just wanted to get into the workforce and start earning what I thought would be real money. Um, but quickly learned um, there was just still a lot of volatility and companies were not paying very well. Um, and I also just being new to the professional world didn't know how to properly value myself, not just mm -hmm. with salary requirements, but also with the role that I was taking, um, ended up going into tax rather than audit or forensics accounting and fell in love with tax. Um, it just really kind of became second nature to me. And I really enjoyed being able to help people with, you know, working at a tax software company. I was helping people, you know, Joe Schmo off the street with the complex tax of, um, task of filing their own taxes. So that meant a lot to me and um, definitely my first job was more about helping people and not about making a lot of money. I um, didn't realize at that point in my life that salary is negotiable. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely recommend anybody early on in their career to always ask for more than what you think you deserve because you likely undervalue yourself more than other people do. Right. So what was the, when did you learn that or what happened that you decided, okay, I, I am worth more than this, or was there someone that helped with that? What did, what does that look like? Yeah. So, um, like I mentioned, I took a year off before going back and getting my master's online. Um, my job was very seasonal. So thankfully I was able to find an online master's program that worked with my schedule and I was able to take uh, multiple classes between May and December and then work long hours, uh, January to April. And, um, after three and a half years, I finally got my master's and, um, that year, I got a pretty bad raise percentage and I tried to ask for more and I was told that they had already tried fighting for more for me. Um, but at that point in time, because I was done with my master's, I really wanted to get my CPA, but going to get your CPA is expensive. The study materials alone, if you want a good um, course, is at least three or $4,000 back then. Um, mm -hmm. And I just couldn't afford it. I was still living paycheck to paycheck. I was making under $50,000, which seems like very little, but in Iowa, it's a livable wage. I just was still very much living paycheck to paycheck. Um, so um, just really started to realize that my employees who were hourly, because they moved from salary to hourly, Obviously, the company wanted them to work less hours overall so that they weren't being paid so much time and a half. But what that ultimately ended up meaning was I was putting in more hours. So at the end of that last tax season, I was at the software company. I um, did the math. I was actually kind of forced to do the math because I was running reports for leadership and came to the conclusion that my direct reports were making more than me hourly. Um, and that just didn't settle very well with me. And again, the fact that I wanted to go after, get, go after my CPA and I just couldn't afford it. Um, so I started looking elsewhere and it was a really hard decision for me because I did like that job. Um, I love the team that I work with and I enjoyed what I was doing, but 
I had to become selfish and realize that I was going to pigeon my pigeonhole myself into that company, into that type of role. Um, it wasn't even really a direct accounting role. It was more of like a customer service type job, um, but in the tax realm. And I just knew that's not what I wanted to do. Um, it was good for me at the time because it allowed me to um, get my master's and all of that. But ultimately, I just ended up having to cut ties and um, went off and found another job at an accounting firm. You're internally driven. You have a strong drive, from what I can tell, in our experience working together uh, and in this early conversation. Um, and I think that sets us up for burnout because we think that if we can just work hard or work harder or do more or do more with less, then eventually we'll figure it out or eventually we'll find that role or eventually people around us will see that and compensate accordingly or build team accordingly. Um, talk about that a little bit. Cause I don't, I think, I think that's what we think. Uh, I don't know that it always happens though. And I think we kind of we're, we're the variable that gets caught in the middle there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and at the company I worked at early on in my career, we were, we all worked long hours most of the year. It was kind of everybody did it. It was the expectation. Um, so there was zero work-life balance. I barely had enough time to eat and sleep. There, you know, there were days where I would go my entire 12-hour shift without eating a meal. I always had tons of snacks in my <laughs> desk drawer, but that's all I ever had time for. And I was usually walking and eating. Um, there were times where I would drive home from work and be so tired that I literally felt intoxicated that like that can't be good. Um, I had multiple promotions over the four and a half years I lived there, which obviously led to a lot of additional duties, um, but just not a lot of compensation. And, you know, it's not all about money per se, but um, being my first job out of college, I didn't realize that there were a lot of other benefits that I was missing out on as well. Mm -hmm. You described a little bit about your journey with burnout. Um, yeah, maybe some thoughts about what causes this and how to set boundaries, what you've learned from this. Um, yeah, and how you've learned it. I think that was Justice's question: is how does this happen, and and when 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 did it happen for you? Yeah. Um, so, like we talked about, being an entry level person in a recovering economy, it just it, I felt like I had no better options. Um, it was setting boundaries wasn't even really a thing because I think there was a fear of that negatively impacting my performance. So I always became a, a yes man and I took me a few years to learn that that is a compounding problem. Yeah. It just gets worse because the more you say yes, the more people expect of you and you become the reliable person, which is not a bad thing, but you know, I, I think we hear a lot about overperformers becoming burnt out so quickly because their managers, leaders rely on them more than others on the team um, for that reason. And it just compounds until it explodes. Um, so really just, I had to become comfortable with saying no, um, becoming a manager, a people manager early on in my career, um, delegating was something that came very hard for me as well, just mm -hmm. because a lot of times it's like, oh, okay, well, I can just do it way quicker myself um, or things like that. So that was one thing that was really difficult for me to overcome. But now that I've gotten comfortable with delegation and saying no, it's made the world of a difference. Um, Talk just, maybe, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Uh, and maybe you're already going there. Um, but I was going to ask you to talk more about that journey to 
the point, like the point of explosion. Where you did, where you started being able to delegate more, where, you know, kind of what flipped for you that you were able to um, sort of adjust your mindset around what you needed um, for yourself and to be able to work better and healthier. Yeah. So um, everything kind of came to a head um, right before the pandemic hit. I had a brand new manager. She was a director. She was also a decade younger than me. And my personal opinion is that she got the job because she knew the chief product officer. They had worked together at a previous company. Um, but I also didn't think that she was qualified for the position and she had a lot of things going on in her personal life that um, took her away from being present in her role. And so it was very shocking to me when one day I was put on a performance improvement plan, a PIP. Um, it was just shocking to me. I was literally pouring my soul into that job and working 12 to 15 hour days, six to seven days a week. And then to be told that I still wasn't doing enough was just completely shocking to me. Um, so I ended up hiring a career coach, which I think is kind of the inflection point of where like that career coach really helped me see that I'm worth more. Mm -hmm. I am allowed to ask for more that I need to set boundaries because what was happening is my mental and physical well-being was severely impacted by the long hours and stress that I was constantly under. And um, unfortunately, right after kind of working through all of that is when the pandemic hit. Um, previous to that, I'd already been looking for another job, but Kind of put that job search on hold and um you know with the guidance of my career coach decided to just try and put my head down do my job and see how things went um and then six months later i was laid off and that was a very stressful time just realizing that like okay i worked through the performance improvement plan i thought i was getting better. And then one day just hit with a uh, severance agreement was pretty startling, mm -hmm. um, especially amidst a pandemic. Um, and so being laid off for three months, I had a lot of time to kind of think through um, what I wanted to do next, where I wanted to focus my energy and all of that. Um, so it was just really that pan I mean, and, and I think a lot of people even, even if they don't have a similar story to mine, they have a similar enough story as far as the pandemic goes and how that really changed a lot of people's perspective on work-life balance and making sure that you're not selling your soul to your company, to somebody who's literally there just to make money. And as much as the company may tell you that they care about you, they, they really don't. They care about money and the, the, shareholders money, like how much money the shareholders can make like you're replaceable in pretty much any role and that's kind of what it boiled down to for me was okay i can leave and if they struggle after i leave that that's on them you know i did my part while i was here but that relationship now came to an end and um i really just had to take the time to recover from years of burnout. And that was what, three, almost three years ago now. And I'm, I would say I'm still in recovery from burnout. It takes mm -hmm. a long time. When that was about, oh, go ahead, Jess. Uh, I was going to ask, when did you identify it as burnout? Um, probably while I was I don't know. It was a seasonal job. So, I mean, at the end of every tax season, it was definitely a burnout feeling, but mm -hmm. then you get some time off, some normal hours for a little while and things get better. And, you know, with companies, they tend to have the 
oh, well, we're improving this, we're making this change to make this better, but um, sometimes you don't see that come to fruition. And it almost seems like broken promises, but again, you can't, you can't get too close to your job, to your company. You really have to focus on yourself <laughs> is what it boils down to. I love that as advice, because I think it's easy to fall in, uh, especially when you're there for a long time. Um, then that becomes something that you feel responsible for, um, internalizing some of that. And um, if you don't do it, though, um, then you leave yourself receptive to, to somebody else stepping in for you. Um, and, and your experience has been, that's not the case. That won't happen if you're relying on system or human resources at a particular company, um, right? That, that shift has to happen from employer being responsible for it to employee being responsible for it. Is that fair? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and right, like, um, that you're enough and that it's okay. And that, um, Right. I think it's pretty easy to internalize some of these feelings as, well, if you just work harder or um, if, if you just mm -hmm. go back to school and get a degree or or if you just said this thing in a particular meeting um, versus kind of taking a step back and looking at the bigger system and seeing seeing what's broken about the bigger system itself. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think you're right. Uh, uh, global pandemic, COVID stuff changed, at least gave people a chance to take a breath and think about what was most important and, and to think about what might be different. Uh, and a lot of people went through the, the shift to remote um, and that completely kind of changed the physical aspect of the work, um, but it gave us a chance. It's an opportunity in my mind. It gave us a chance to reevaluate where we were at in career, what work-life balance felt like, if there was a thing, what work-life integration felt like, and if we could do things differently, what would we do? And I think that was the power shift that you and I had shared some thoughts on. Um, the power shifted, I think, for a good number of folks from employer being responsible or uh, making the rules or figuring out how work worked and how much people worked to now the employee having a little bit more power and choice mm -hmm. in terms of what that looks like. Yeah. A shifting of priorities. Yeah. You know, I was, I used to be very focused on, um, being career driven, you know, in the past I had, a goal for myself that I wanted to become an executive by the time I was 35. Well, here we are and <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I'm actually really glad I'm not an executive at this point in my life. <laughs> so talk about that. Um, doing less. What that looks like for you. Um, what your philosophy is around that um, and how other people who maybe are also um, very driven might implement a doing less philosophy into their life. Yeah. So one of the things I discovered about severe burnout is that so many of my physical health issues were caused by stress and unhealthy habits from working such long hours. Um, at one point, my doctor even told me that I should hold off at trying for kids because of how much stress I was under at work. Like, <laughs> what? It's just, but it's so true. I mean, so, I just really came to terms with that. I needed to shift my priorities and put less of a focus on being career oriented and really start focusing in on my mental and um, physical well-being, mm -hmm. um, and just making time for healthier habits, whether it's going on a walk, 
meditating, making a healthy meal, etc. Um, all of those things help and um, just being smarter or working smarter, not harder. We have so much technology at our fingertips. Why, you know, why not try and find a better, easier, quicker way to accomplish something, you know? Um, and again, just being comfortable with delegation and um, obviously as you move up in your career, that's a little bit easier to delegate work to others, but um, just feeling comfortable with that was the struggle for me. Um, and just setting boundaries, um, making sure that you're not making it a habit to work until nine o'clock at night. Is the world going to end if you don't check your emails from the day before you sign off? No, it's not. If it's important enough, people can pick up the phone and call you, you know? Um, so just really making sure that you disconnect during off hours and especially during PTO. You know, there may be some prep work required before you go on a vacation to make sure that everything can be handled while you're out. Um, but that's your time to take. And, um, you know, don't even take your work cell phone or your laptop just in case. Like, just don't even do it. Um, so I guess advice that I would give to others is, first and foremost, if you're starting to feel burned out, you probably already are. <laughs> and yeah, um, so I would, I would definitely recommend making changes. They don't have to be drastic changes. Um, for me, it was just a lot of little changes being, um, you know, being okay with saying no, being okay with setting boundaries, um, making time for healthier habits, spending time with people that pretty much I neglected previously that I didn't have time for when I was so focused on work. Um, all of those things, I think, really account for just overall happiness being improved. I think that's true. Also, uh, boundaries uh, in your personal life as well, right? So a lot of this, we're talking about work life, um, but some of those, there are people who have uh, compassion fatigue, taking care of family or things like this. Um, have you found that you're able to, or if, even if you needed to, um, that you're able to translate some of the stuff that you've done with, with being healthier for your work also into your personal life, or is it kind of all go together? Absolutely. I, um, I tell people a lot that pre-pandemic me is a totally different person than me now. Um, just like you mentioned in the personal life side of things, I used to um, say yes to a lot of social commitments. I had a pretty large friends group and we would do, you know, it, they were always fun things, yes, but when you're burnt out, you really need time to reset and if you know if doing fun things with your friends is helping in that reset more power to you um, but for me i just was constantly trying to be a people pleaser across the board and doing doing things that did not whatsoever add any value to my own life um, i was always like you said um, that compassion for others and making sure that other people were taken care of. Um, but I didn't realize for the longest time that I was completely neglecting myself in that process. So I definitely have less friends than I used to, but I've come to terms with the fact that maybe they weren't the best of friends to begin with because they were always taking, never giving um, yeah. Yeah. and not adding any value to my life. So why, why spend my energy there when I have so many other great things in my life to spend my energy on? That's such a hard thing sometimes. I know the last couple of years myself, I have learned to set boundaries um, more so with family. I had already um, navigated a smaller, smaller friends group that now is slowly expanding, but in good ways. Um, but yeah, around boundaries with family, because then you can almost appear as 
the bad guy <laughs> you've been giving and giving for so long and oh all of a sudden you're not you're not giving anymore <laughs> yeah yep janet can you talk a little bit about how that flip switches um how the how the switch flips um from mentally thinking about all of the things that you have to do uh those things that are weighing on you to i'm okay if i don't do the thing it's mm -hmm. okay to not be productive in this space or at least the traditional definition of what productivity looks like because maybe the most productive thing for me to do right now is to go sit in the sun and chill or to go for a walk or to how how do you how did you realize that and how long does it take to practice for something that you feel comfortable with what does that journey look like if you will yeah um so like i mentioned right you know right after the pandemic started is when i met that inflection point of it all coming to a head and then i was unemployed for three months so i went from going 100 miles an hour to i'll say 10 miles an hour because obviously i wasn't doing nothing i was applying for lots of jobs and doing interviews but um you know especially that happening in the middle of a pandemic and not being able to go out and do things um i was i mean i was going stir crazy i was trying to fill my time with pandemic friendly activities like going on a walk in you know on a nature trail things like that like just always trying to find something to do because i felt as if i was being lazy mm -hmm. um, but really what it boiled down to is i needed that time i really truly needed that time and after several several months um even after I started my next job, um, and a big part of why I took my next job was because it was, I was told that it was a nine to five. Um, and so <laughs> that's what worked in my life at that time. It felt so good to put my time in during the day, log off, not think about work the rest of the day. Um, and also being a remote employee, it was super nice and convenient to have that time, you know, if I had 10, 15 minutes between meetings, I could switch a load of laundry over, load up the dishwasher, whatever it may be. So once I was off, you know, I could turn my brain off at night, truly. Like yeah. I was able to accomplish all of my adult responsibilities during the day and then could turn off that part at night and um, just really focus on, I, I got into meditation and going on a lot of walks with my dog. Um, and then months later, I came across, I think it was a TikTok, honestly, um, somebody talking about this Italian um, phrase. It's uh, dolce far niente. And it means the sweetness of doing nothing or the, the sweetness of idleness. Um, and just that really hit home for me because I was attempting to do that. Um, but now there was kind of this term around it for me in my head. And anytime I would feel like I was being lazy because I wasn't doing anything, I had to remind myself like, it's okay. And I even ended up getting, eventually getting that tattooed on my arm um, along with a little dog print because most of the time when I'm doing nothing, it's with my dog. <laughs> so just really became comfortable with that full disconnect, not feeling anxious that I was missing an email or a message after hours and mm -hmm. really coming to terms with the fact that no matter how my anxiety was making me feel, that the world's not going to end. I mean, my first job was in the tax software industry. So obviously there's lots of regulations and IRS and state agency due, due dates and all of that. So a lot of deadlines with the government, but still even like the world was not going to end if me personally, I was not doing a specific task. Like if I had gotten hit by a bus, what would, what would the company have done? You know, like you have to think of it in that way that right. your company is going to move, be able to move on without you. 
-hmm. And yes, you think about that and like, if you were to be let go or leave, whatever, but even on a day-to-day -day basis, you need to feel that way as well, that if something is truly on fire, somebody will figure out an alternate way to, to resolve it. So. I love that advice. Uh, and I love you sharing your journey about it because I think it's so important. I don't know yet where, where everybody's at. I think there's still uh, systems and cultures that exist that ingrain the idea of kind of that hustle culture, that if you just work more um, and, and that there's a, a generation of folks that are still career driven and won't shut it off or can't shut it off. Uh, and I, I worry about that. And I think I think we've seen kind of the effects and outcomes of that. Um, I love your self-made journey. I, I love you describing how you found it. Um, and you talked about help. Uh, you talked about a career coach. You talked about kind of building confidence, self-confidence in that. You also talked about kind of the, the macroeconomic factors that played a role. I think both, right? You graduated into a... The, the great recession and economic collapse. And then you also were at a point in your career, uh, global pandemic wise, where you were doing career shift and career transition. Uh, but I think so the story that you're telling is so important for others to hear. And maybe the younger generation that is still building and hustling and seeing how hard they can work um, for whatever that output is. Uh, the next job promotion or a salary increase um, or because that's where they're getting their energy from. Yeah. Let's shift to other influences because um, in our in our outline that you um, edited or helped to answer some of those questions, um, you mentioned your mom as an influence. So maybe talk about that connection and that relationship and how she has been influential to you. Yeah. So um, for much of my life, like later in um, childhood, uh, my parents went through a divorce and I was the youngest of four. And my siblings had all graduated high school and moved out of the house and i was the last one in the house at the time the divorce happened and so i was there seeing my mom at sometimes working three jobs just to pay the bills and um, at that point in time i was um, in high school so i was also working sometimes multiple jobs on top of going to high school um so that i could have a car so that i could put gas in it and all of that stuff i really had to pay for a lot of my own things because um just money was super tight um but one of the things that i appreciate is that my mom worked so hard um to make sure that she could always provide even though she didn't have a lot um, but she always made sure that i was taken care of and um, kind of going back to that financial stability that I was always kind of looking for in my life, I think a lot of that had to do with seeing my parents and specifically my mother um, just struggle financially to make ends meet. Um, so, you know, from her, I learned that, um, you know, opportunity might not always be there. Sometimes you have to create it. Mm. Um, my mom has done all different kinds of jobs throughout her lifetime. She, you know, is a jack of all trades, um, but works really hard to always make sure that the bills are paid. And, um, but I, I think that that mindset and seeing how much my mom struggled to do that is what really drove me to work really hard at getting into a good college, at finishing college in a timely manner and getting into the workforce so that I could start earning my own money. Um, but now I'm at the point in my career where next in my life, like looking future to the future, I'm currently looking for properties that I can build a house and a small house on because my mom has taken care of me so well throughout my entire life. And because of that gave up a lot as far as you know, 
not having a normal kind of like corporate job, she never really saved a whole lot for retirement. Um, so I'm just very grateful that I'm at a point in my career now that I'm making enough money that I can look to the future and say, okay, well, if something were to happen, my mother could always come live with, not live with me, but live like on this property that I want to purchase mm-hmm. and she'll be okay. Um, so just kind of making sure that I give back to her because she's had so much influence on my life in making sure that I'm always okay and have the necessities. I love that. Uh, You talked a little bit about anxiety and dealing with that. Uh, Can you talk about kind of your journey and how to be successful and and how you navigate that piece of it uh, throughout kind of the ups and downs of of career and and life stuff that you shared with us? Yeah, so I actually um, did not get diagnosed with anxiety and ADD until I was in my mid to late 20s and didn't realize until that point in time how much I was struggling, like just to keep my life organized um, because I had always done well at school. I, you know, got fairly good grades without, in high school, I got good grades without even studying and college. If I had had a little bit more time, I probably would have done much better. Um, so I never really thought that I had um, any type of, mental disorder that would have impeded that. Um, But as I became an adult and got more and more adult responsibilities dumped on my plate, I quickly realized that it was just a lot to handle and that there was a lot of anxiety in my life. And a lot of that anxiety was actually due to um, not being being undiagnosed ADD. Um, So after some chats with my doctor, I ended up taking medication. And um, at first, the doctor wanted to just um, take care of the ADD problem. And after I started taking medication for that, I noticed a huge difference um, in my anxiety as well. So never ended up taking anxiety meds. Um, But then more recently, last year, I finally had that conversation with my doctor, you know, I had been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, but never had taken medication for it. And last year was the first time that I did and world of a difference. I didn't even realize like some of the things, the little things in life that just got me so worked up was astonishing. And the changes that now that I'm taking medication for my anxiety as well, I just don't care as much. And I say that in a good way, mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah. when you have yeah. anxiety, you, you think that people are thinking one way, or you think that if this happens, the world's going to catch on fire. Like, but it's all made up in your head and you don't realize that these aren't sometimes, not that they're not valid, but just that your reaction to certain things is way overcompensating for, or way overstated compared to the actual situation. Mm -hmm. Um, Just one little example that came up recently. So I've been traveling quite a bit for my new job and I was flying home from Dallas and I generally take the late flight home and the the flight leaves at 9.30. By that point in time, a lot of the TSA gates at Dallas are closed down in each terminal. So they usually just have one, which um, obviously made the, the line long for security. And um, it was just so interesting to me to self-observe, I guess, of, I, you know, I had my earbuds in, listening to music, just, okay, I'm standing in this line, like, I'm here, you know? And I would see people come up and the, the TSA pre-check line or the priority line was closed for that, the only security gate. And I can't even tell you how many people walked up they were walking obviously from another TSA pre-check gate that they found out was closed, walked up to this one, seeing that the priority lane was also closed and they had to get in a long line of general security and being so upset about it. 
And that would have been me like three years ago. Like I would have been the one that was like making a big deal and just huffing and puffing and like, ah, this is going to, you know, ruin my life. And it's like, no, it's okay. Like just there's nothing you can do. Just stand in line. And if you miss your flight, you miss your flight. Like it's not the end of the world. (laughs) So like little things like that, that I've noticed over the past year um, are amazing. The fact that, like I said, it's just, I don't care anymore. Yeah. And it's a good thing. It's actually yeah. a good thing. That's awesome. And that's a practice sometimes too, to just take a breath, take a step back, obviously mm-hmm. with ADD, anxiety, and the medication helping to facilitate that, but then just, um, yeah, allowing yourself to take a step back and and really yeah, look at the bigger it. picture and realize that like yeah, I've, your I've brain, the, your brain I've is trying to tell you way. that this is a big deal, but it's not a big deal. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh shoot. Did you have something, Eden? Uh, just the kind of what we what we have as closing conversation topics. Uh, yes. Super interested yeah. in kind of what you're passionate about and what brings you energy today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it just what brings me energy and what I'm passionate about, first and foremost, I would say is really sticking to that new life motto that I have of the sweetness of doing nothing and being okay with that. Um, that's really kind of my first focus, because like I mentioned, I believe I'm still recovering from burnout after multiple years now, um, because I don't want to slide back into that. Um, especially with my new role, it is a higher up role and I do a lot of travel and things like that. Um, but I've also been setting healthy boundaries, which to me, I I think is a lot easier to implement when you're starting a new role from, Mm -hmm. from fresh, you know, being able to set those boundaries, um, with a new role is really helpful. Um, but as far as what other things bring me energy, um, you know, one of the reasons I ultimately became a product manager is because. I found that I'm really passionate about helping others navigate complex matters in life. Um, You know, I just so happen to be in the tax world, but even in my personal world, um, you know, there's uh, multiple friends that I have helped put together like a financial plan for um, to help them, you know, put a budget budget together and all of that. Um, Things like that just really um, make me feel good. And I know it, extremely helps the other person as well. Um, So when I do spend my energy on others versus myself, um, I am obviously very selective and making sure that I'm doing it for the right reasons. And that in those instances, I'm not necessarily for looking for anything in return, but um, the feeling that I get from helping somebody navigate through that complex time, I think is what adds value for me. Um, And then the other thing I'm really passionate about is just animals, dogs specifically. So um, I'm actually looking to spend a little little bit more time volunteering at my uh, local rescue doing um, doggy field trips where I take a dog out of the shelter for a day and go spoil spoil them rotten. So I'm looking forward to that. That's and awesome. also a big a big driver in, as to why I want to buy a, p- a piece of property as well is because mm-hmm. I want to be able to have probably not like a full rescue by any means, but be able to foster dogs while they're waiting to be adopted. I used to do that a little bit, and I'd love to get back into that. Nice. I, I love how you talk about, because service to others is, is so important just as a way to, um, for our own mental and physical health, um, service to others, service to animals, all of that volunteering, I should say specifically, but, um, or more generally, but knowing where to put that energy, where to put that service, um, where to volunteer and to make those things that, um, to make those places, places that you are passionate about. Um, right. And not overcommitting. That helps give you back the energy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, yeah being productive and where you yes. spend your time. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Like Super important. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about if you have one, a routine, anything that you do ritualistically or um, just how you organize your day. Not really. And that's one thing that has yeah. changed about me is that yeah. I really do strive to do what makes me happy in the moment. Um, so I, you know, if one morning my alarm goes off and I don't feel like I've gotten enough sleep, I set my alarm early enough that I can go back to sleep for half an hour mm -hmm. or, you know, it's nice out today. I want to take advantage of that. I'm going to dial into this meeting and go on a walk with my dog, you know, just little things like that. Um, so yeah, really, I don't have a lot of structure in my life. Um, but I am also very grateful to be at a point in my life where, um, you know, I can, I can afford to do that. I can do things on a whim a little bit more um, than trying to do a lot more traveling and all of that. So just keeping to my commitments, but being selective in my commitments and um, trying to steer away from a lot of structure. Cause I feel like my life has been full of a lot of structure and mm -hmm. it hasn't made me happy. So I really try and just focus on what makes me happy at that moment in time. Um, but then also making sure I stick to my responsibilities. Um, cause I know the anxiety part of me will, um, <laughs> will kick in if I don't, you know, meet those responsibilities before I go off and have fun. Yeah, there's always, there's always something that has to get done that we don't necessarily want to do, but uh, we will feel better once it's done. Yeah. Um, I like that you, you didn't use the word specifically, but it is a, a privileged place, I think, just even for the three of us to be able to do this in the middle of the week, in the middle of the day, right, to be able to sit here and have this conversation. Um, and not everyone can do that. And so just to remind remind ourselves, those of us that can, um, that that is something to be to be grateful for. And um, yeah, I'm yeah, oh, yeah. I have different thoughts going on because I'm like, well, how does the how can this work for someone who is in that mindset or even is in that place of um, and I don't know if you have an answer for this, um, who is in that place of, well, I need to work, right? I need to, whatever that job structure looks like, I need to be in this job. I have uh, kids to feed or myself to feed or whatever it is, because um, that's something that I often think about. It's one thing to... Um, you know, to be in a place where you have a little bit more flexibility, but it's true. Not everyone has that or even maybe has access to what that would even look like. Yeah. And although I personally do not have children, um, obviously mm -hmm. I have a lot of friends that do. And I also, um, when I was younger more specifically like in my early 20s i would see friends that were early on in their careers struggling to make ends meet and um i think the biggest thing to keep in mind is knowing that you can ask for help whether it's your personal support mm -hmm. network you know if you're in in a rough spot that you need to get financial assistance some way don't let your pride get in the way and don't don't you know if you're reaching out to people like your friends and family for help you know, the worst thing that could happen is they say, no, they can't, you know, they can't help or whatever, but that's fine. It, you know, at least ask, be, be open and honest with others. Um, and I think you'll learn a lot about yourself along the way. Um, just be transparent with people, um, let people in and you'd be surprised at how many people are willing to reach out their hand and help. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You did have an answer. Yay. <laughs> That's amazing. 
Awesome. I, mean, I, I definitely would not be where I'm at today if it weren't for the help that I got. I mean, like I mentioned, my mom didn't have a lot to give, but you know, when she could, she would send me money for groceries or, you know, things like that. Um, when I moved from Virginia to Iowa, I was talking about the support network that we had, you know, my boyfriend at the time had a buddy who just bought a house and had extra rooms and he had a dog as well. So it just worked out and we were able to live um, rent free for a few months until we got back on our feet. And then after that rent was really cheap, like just there's people out there willing to help. And um, I think that that process will also open your eyes to who actually cares about you in your life and who yeah. you could potentially cut out, you know, yes, relationships, whether it's friendship or other, um, are give and take, um, you don't want to always be giving, you don't want to always be taking, but, um, that's what friends are for. Friends and family are, are there to help support you in your time of need and just letting it be known is, is the hardest part. I think coming to yeah. terms with the fact that you do need help at some times. Yeah. Yeah, this is excellent. Um, I don't know if there's anything else. Did Aiden, did you have any other questions or Jenna? I just want to thank you, Jenna. Uh, yeah. Thanks for sharing your story and sharing your insights and talking about your journey and what worked for you and where you were at. Um, it takes a, a good amount of courage to, to, to have a conversation about um, burnout and how you got there and why you got there and what you learned about self. Um, and um, by sharing it with us today, um, we can have conversations with people about it and, and talk okay. about tools and techniques that worked for you um, and the insights that you shared uh, were incredibly impactful for me and will be impactful as we share this more broadly with our audience. So um, thanks for connecting and thanks for being on. Yeah, thank you guys yeah. so much for having me. I enjoyed thank it. You. Yes, thank you so much, Jenna, for your insight and your story. Appreciate you. Thank you, guys.